we're well acquainted, many of us uh, are, are from Loma Linda, or in some way, shape, or form connected with Loma Linda, we're, we're all well acquainted with what the, the original mission of Loma Linda was. And it's inspiring also to me to, to hear the stories of how the institution was founded. Recently, this past spring actually, during the alumni convention, they installed a new statue up on the uh, top of the, the hill in Loma Linda by Nicol Hall. And it's entitled This Very Place. And it's a, a monument to the, the beginnings of Loma Linda and the miraculous story that led to Loma Linda being developed. Ellen White, as she came onto the campus, and it's a story we're familiar with, she said, I've, seen, I've been here before, and her, her son Willie said, no, mother, you haven't. And then she said, well, this is, this is the very place that the Lord has shown me. And that experience really served as a, as a beginning point for Loma Linda. And the history of Loma Linda, while not perfect, is replete with mission stories. And oftentimes, it's easy to forget where we've come from. Ellen White in, select, uh, in Life Sketches is, sorry, said, We have nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and is teaching in our past history. That reminds me of this beautiful monument in the center of campus in Loma Linda. It's on the, the pathway connecting the medical center and the, the new uh, a basic science building, Centennial Complex. And it's a beautiful globe and a monument to, to all the people that have served from Loma Linda. And during the doldrums of second year, when you start studying pathology at 4.30 in the morning, and except for a little bit of a break for pharmacology and pathophys, you'd still be studying it at 9.30 at night. It was inspiring to me personally to take a break every couple hours and go visit this monument, walk around it, and remind myself why I'm here at Loma Linda and what God is calling me to do. It reminds me of a conversation that was a, a spiritual turning point in my life with a conversation I had with my dad. And he said, son, God does not have grandchildren. And I said, okay, dad, you got to explain that one. He said, God only has children. The fact that I'm a pastor and I've raised you boys and, have a strong, and that I personally have a strong walk with God is not enough for you to be a Christian. It's something that you have to own yourself. And in the same way, the mission and vision of Loma Linda is not something that is good enough for the previous generation to have. It's something that each generation has to pick up and own and reclaim for themselves. A couple weeks ago, I was at a conference for global health leadership from around the world in Adventist Health. Uh, healthcare institutions, and it was inspiring to hear stories from so many, so many different places, 33 countries represented. Some of the people I hear tonight from Nigeria and India, uh, and maybe a few other people that I'm not, sh uh, not aware of. And it, it reminded me again, the tremendous history of missions that Loma Linda has. This goes back generations. For the first 50 years of Loma Linda's existence, approximately two hospitals were founded every year. That's actually really incredible when you think about it. Many of those st same hospitals are still alive and functioning today. Dr. Coggins and Dr. Wareham, the International Heart uh, Surgery Service Team, inspiring stories. The stories Dr. Hart tells. These are all prior generations. Even the previous generation of Drs. Scow, Dr. Giebel, 
Dr. Saunders, Dr. Ranzinger, all of whom are here today, uh, them owning the mission and the vision and going out and re living that vision in their own lives is not enough. It's something we have to, to claim for ourselves, to pick up for ourselves and own ourselves. So I've invited today seven people to briefly share their stories of what's happening in their lives while they're in medical school. We'll hear from Brent in a minute, starting out with street medicine, and we'll finish up with Eddie Perry and what's going on in the Congo. Fantastic stories, stories of God blessing while we're in medical school. And it's these sort of things that we can get involved in now that help us to reclaim the vision. So I invite you to enjoy, sit back. We all love mission stories, and you're going to hear seven of them this morning. Thank you. Well, good afternoon. My name is Brent uh, Sherwin. I'm a medical student at Loma Melinda, a fourth-year medical student. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about street medicine and how I got involved in it and how it's really... Uh, made a big impact on my life during medical school. So uh, the first couple slides, I'm gonna kind of explain what street medicine is, and then um, the majority of it I'd like to spend uh, just telling you how it's impacted me and uh, kind of gave me a vision for the future. So many of you might be asking, well, what is street medicine? Uh, you might have heard the term before, but basically uh, what we are is kind of a, a group of students that goes out on a weekly basis. We go to the San Bernardino County, um, streets and we try and help the people that normally you wouldn't see in your regular medical office or dental office uh, just because of uh, problems with access or they just plain don't have transportation to to areas where those clinics are so the things we do basically are triage basic primary care and then also act as a referral center kind of to give these people ideas of where they could go to get further care that we can't provide um, at the time um, for example, we don't do labs, and we don't do x-rays or imaging or anything of that sort. So we can uh, check their problems, see what needs to be done, and then refer them on to somebody that can help them further. So those are the things that we mainly focus on, uh, on a rate for street medicine. So one of the reasons we do street medicine at Loma Linda, and this, was just, this program was just started a few years ago, is um, one of the things I already mentioned. Many of the homeless people in San Bernardino don't have access to clinics, or if they do, it's very difficult for them to get to the clinic to get health care. And so what we do is we go to them instead. Instead of them having to come to us, we either go and meet them on the streets where they are, or we go to several um, shelters and church uh, clinics that are set up around the community where they come on a regular basis to either get food or um, clothing, and so we kind of go and meet them where they are at. Um, the other reason we do street medicine is um, kind of fulfilling the principle uh, or the ethical principle of justice with providing health care to everybody, not just the people that can either get to it or have um, the money to afford it. And then, as, as uh, Stephen mentioned, there's several um, statues on the campus of Loma Linda University, and one of the ones that really sticks out in my mind is the Good Samaritan statue. Um, you can walk by it lots of times every day and kind of forget that that's one of the main reasons Thelma Linda was founded. But for us, street medicine is kind of putting the story of the Good, Samar Good Samaritan into practice on a weekly ba basis. And then also it's good policy. I'm going to tell you kind of how the street medicine movement started. And one program in Pittsburgh um, did a study, and they actually were saving their emergency room about $300,000 a year just by going on the streets and helping people kind of preventing them from having to come into the emergency room to get their primary care. 
and instead going to them and helping their, with their primary care right there on the streets. And then also Stream Medicine just provides a really excellent addition to the education we already get at Loma Linda University, and I'll explain a little bit more of that later. So this, the movement of street medicine started about 20 years ago in Pittsburgh with a, a doctor named Jim Withers. He um, kind of looked around and realized that there really wasn't anybody going out and reaching this population. And so he started going out on his own, and eventually it, it turned into quite a movement there in Pittsburgh. And then from there, it's kind of spread around the country to different medical schools and um, different uh, uh, institutions. And then um, you can see these other dates for um, kind of how street medicine has grown as an institution. So just to give you, I'm not going to read all of these stats, but San Bernardino, for those of you that have been to Loma Linda, is quite a poor community. Um, there's a lot of homeless people. You can see there's over 2,300 people each day that are on the streets. And so um, when we first started this, we saw that there was a huge need and that just wasn't getting filled. And so... You can see some of the other statistics. A lot of, it's, a, it's a difficult population to work with. Um, a lot of multifactorial things going on. Usually people don't just come in with one problem. They have multiple problems. And so what we try to do is act as a um, kind of a liaison between them and getting them to a place that can, they can get longer-term care. And so uh, these are some of the stats for you to look at really quickly. So our story is we, we started in 2011. A physician at Loma Linda started going out, kind of like Dr. Withers did in Pittsburgh, going out to the streets just kind of on her own. And she uh, and mentioned it to some of her rotating medical students. And they said, hey, could we come with you? And so some of those medical students started going out on a weekly basis. And unfortunately, the, the physician actually ended up leaving and going to a different healthcare system for various reasons, and so the students decided, well, we need to keep this going, keep this alive, and so it, it became a student-led organization there with sponsors from the School of Medicine. And so we've just kind of gone from there as far as growing, and one thing we've really been trying the last couple of years is integrate other schools into street medicine. So we've, we've added, um, we've added uh, public health of the department, we've also partnered some with the dental school, and many other programs you can see on this list, School of Nursing, and we've tried to kind of come in and do an intercollaborative effort to reach uh, the people, the patients that we work with, because many of them, like I said, have multifactorial problems. We've also um, dealt with the social, School of Social Work as well, and trying to figure out ideas of how we can help this population better. So, so one, some of the ways we've impacted the community has just been there for them weekly. We don't go to the same clinic every week. We usually try and alternate about every other week at different clinics, and then also doing street walks um, alternatively. So we try and, and be at a certain area about every month so that the patients know we're going to be in that area if they have further problems or the, the complaint that they came to us for the week before or the last time, they, can, they, can, they know that we're going to be in those areas. And so we try and um, provide a, a pretty consistent presence in the community at these different clinics. Um, one of the other um, very valuable things that this uh, ministry has allowed us to do is make really good contacts with the community. There's several communities. Um, there's a Lutheran church we go to. There's many homeless shelters, and we've been able to make contact with them and really form a good relationship with them and work together. And so I think it's, it's if nothing else, it's helped them to see kind of what Loma Linda is about and what us medical students really want to do with our careers and just kind of 
meet meet them and uh, learn more about how they help the community as well and just and provide collaboration in that aspect as well. And then it gives us opportunities to use all of the head knowledge that we've been learning over the last several years and put it to practice. So we do the triage, we do um, vitals, and we try and come up with an assessment and plan, and we chief it to an attending. It's a very good experience. Um, as as young um, second years can start coming out on a regular basis in their second year, really helps them to get their feet wet before the clinical years of third year. And I know for me, when I started second year, I wasn't really comfortable with the history and physical, but after a couple times of street medicine and kind of dealing with these patients, it really made me a lot more comfortable and kind of gave me more ownership for the things that I had been learning. So for me, it was, it was definitely a great experience as far as clinically as well. So these are just some of the numbers from our last year. Uh, we try and go out on a weekly basis, and especially around the vaccine season, kind of in the November, December, we really try and almost do one or two clinics a week if we can. And we've had multiple volunteers. Uh, we rely completely on volunteer attendings, um, nurses, and then students as well. So we've had quite a few volunteers, and we see quite a few patients. Usually on a regular basis, we'll see between 10 and 15 patients a night. And, um, and, and also uh, with vaccine clinics, we'll see quite a few patients as well. So one of the things I want to just focus on for the next several minutes is how this has impacted me as a medical student at Loma Linda. And as Stephen said earlier, the first two years, you're kind of steeped in the books. You spend all day studying. It's, it's very easy to kind of forget why you came. Uh, they try and provide us with some clinical experience, but most of it is spent studying. And so what street medicine did for me is it kind of helps me remind me why I came to medical school. Um, one of the, my goals when I get done, I'm in the Deferred Mission Appointee Program with the General Conference, and I really want to go overseas and do missions when I get done with residency. And so this program helped remind me about that dream, that goal, and then just reaching people that, that really had no other access to healthcare helped remind me why I came to medical school as well. And it really, um, by interacting with the patients, with my fellow classmates and with the different attendings and, and volunteers, really renewed my passion for medicine and, and helped me to realize that even though sometimes you can get bogged down, um, there's things like this that you can do, volunteer or um, get involved with a, a community service project that really fires you up again about why you came in the first place. And then one of the other things it really did for me is provided me with invaluable leadership experience. Um, I was able, after second year, I was on the, the leadership team, and I've continued to be on that team as, as a clinic leader. So my job is to organize clinics and uh, get student volunteers, try and get the attendings on board to come out and help. And so that has been a really great experience. Because I said before, we're, we're a student-led organization, and so we really kind of how much we want to put into it is how much we get out. And so it really uh, inspires us to try and push harder and try new things and uh, kind of learn from our mistakes, but also um, learn from our, um, the things that go well. And so it's been a really great, uh, valuable leadership experience for me. So as far as what it's done for me, it's provided me with a renewed passion for medicine, reminded me why I came, and then also uh, giving me vision for the future for when I finish residency as well. So thank you very much.
Okay, so my name is Morgan Green. I'm one of the third-year medical students at Loma Linda University, and I've had the privilege of working with our class missions project. Um, we've got together, and God opened the door for us to sponsor and funnel support both financially and with the volunteer spirit to Liberia, specifically the Cooper Hospital, one of our SDA hospitals serving the area. Um, for sake of time, I'm not going to be able to read everything on every slide, but give you a assessment on what's been going on thus far. So essentially the project started with a gr small group of students who were looking for whatever country or opportunity seemed like it can use our resources to the fullest. Um, and essentially we found that there was a young volunteer surgeon, Julian Seaton, who finished general surgery residency and specifically asked AHI to send her somewhere tough. So they sent her to Liberia. And our class was given the opportunity to help her in both working on an OR ramp so that they were able to send more sick patients to the OR easier, because um, right now they're really only working with stairs. Also working with ER renovation and an OR renovation, essentially trying to bring up the standard of healthcare higher um, so that we can do much more for the community. Also, uh, uh, the picture to the, my right looking this way are a lot of the staff members, nurses, and faculty who are able to help alongside her. Picture to the left where everyone's looking like this. Um, the man in the back is actually James Appel. One of the things about the Liberia Project, even before we picked it, you know, God has a plan on where he needs to put his people. And before we even knew, Ebola was just a virus that we were learning about on our microtests, um, turned into a global ep epidemic that is heavily hitting Liberia. And so this is an opportunity for us to really funnel in resources for a place that's in great need. Needs being such as this. Middle column shows what the patient traffic was looking like before Ebola hit, and the column to the right shows what happened after Ebola hit. Essentially, the surgeries, the patients, the needs went up exponentially. That's the word I was looking for, exponentially. I'm going quick because our time is limited. Um, I'm going to quickly call up Stephen Thorpe to help go through three questions to really put a point on where we are going with the project. First question being, from Stephen's point of view, he, he has helped us getting this project put together. Where is the current status of Cooper SDA Hospital? Well, due to the Ebola outbreak and a couple of staff members actually contracting Ebola, likely outside of the hospital, they, and, and then they subsequently passed away, uh, the hospital actually imposed a three-week quarantine on themselves to try to mitigate the, the risk to the staff. And so they closed down basically for the entire month of October. But this week they will be opening back up. And when Ebola hit Monrovia, Liberia, basically every single hospital shut down. Staff flew, fled away from their, from their uh, posts in the hospitals because of the fear of catching Ebola. And the story at Cooper was very, very different. Jillian and the staff there said, no, we're going to stick it out. We're going to keep our doors open. We're going we're to be an Ebola-free uh, hospital where people can get the care they need not related to Ebola. So keep on getting the C-sections. Keep on getting the surgical cases and, and, and help meet those needs for the city. And for about a month and a half, they were the only hospital in the city of one million people that actually remained open. It's a tremendous story of bravery on the on the on behalf of Jillian and the and the staff at Cooper. And so it's really exciting that they're actually 
actually reopening this week to serve as a uh, OB and surgical center for Monrovia. And where do you see us going next with this project? So the project, basically AHI and Jillian Adventist Health International, that is, and Jillian continue to identify these needs as, as some of their most pressing. The Ebola outbreak has a lot of uh, uh, increased cost on the hospital. They have a lot more patients. They're doing the care for free. And so they need to provide more free care. And there's, there's a lot of operating expenses associated with that. But Ebola has just exacerbated some of the infrastructure uh, problems at the hospital. And so upgrading the access to the OR, currently the only way to get a patient into the OR is to grab them and haul them upstairs. There's no way to wheel a gurney into the second floor OR. You have to pick them up and carry them. So they're proposing to build a ramp to connect from the current triage area into the second floor OR. And that would really help uh, smooth things out. Upgrading some of the sinks, we saw a picture earlier of a, a 40, 50-year-old tile sink that's just teeming with uh, unsanitary conditions. And on top of that, that's the only, <laughs> only, only sink in the entire OR facility to scrub in, scrub out from cases, and to wash instruments. And so the needs from Ebola are really exacerbating the infrastructure problems. And what could be done now to help us get where we need to go with Cooper Hospital? It's really inspiring to, when, I, when I met Jillian and had a chance to talk to her about what's going on in, in Liberia. She said, you know, Stephen, we need stuff as simple as central lying kits, pigtail drains, thoracentesis kits, IV supplies, and personal pr protective equipment. They need all of that. And they also need help upgrading, upgrading some of these infrastructure items. So to help Jillian and this hospital, to encourage them and to support them while they're facing one of the deadliest outbreaks of Ebola in history would be a tremendous support to this hospital. Morgan, time's up, but I do have one quick question for you. How has being involved in this project blessed you personally? Twofold, real quick. My whole um, experience of undergrad was mission work. Liberia was one of the countries I visited the Christmas of 2011, and so the opportunity to go back and help was, is a um, encouragement during the trials of third year and also I'm very interested in international mission work and thankful for the opportunity of helping the entire class those who are willing to participate in any way they can so it's been a blessing through there. Thank you. Quince? My name is Quince Gibson. I'm a third year medical student at Loma Linda University and a few years prior to that I was comfortably working for a company called AOL. Have many of you, any of you heard of that company? Um, I was working for that company and life was actually really comfortable. I uh, have two kids, a wife, beautiful wife, and I was feeling fine. And then the Lord impressed on me that I need to make my work my mission. And so I decided I was going to go into medicine. And that was a very crazy idea as I uh, sometimes reflect on it, especially when I'm studying um, at all sorts of hours in the morning. Um, I realized just what a weird idea that was. Um, I actually had the opportunity to serve as president of the Missions Interest Group for Loma Linda from 2013 to 2014, and I have to say that it was actually a marvelous experience. The reason I came into medicine was because I actually wanted to participate in missions, and so I'm also a deferred uh, mission appointee. Um, and I'm going to explain a little bit about what the Missions Interest Group has done and what our mission is. Uh, so we're an interdisciplinary group, and our 
basic goal is to keep at the forefront of all of the students at Loma Linda the idea of missions and the fact that they can do something to make a change in this world and to, and to serve Christ. Uh, we do that through a variety of uh, events. We work with the Students for International Missions Service, that's SIMS, the Deferred Mission Appointee Program, and we also conduct VESPER programs uh, on Friday nights when we have missionaries who are on furloughs. Can I see the hands of those of you who are DMAs or who have been DMAs in the audience? Okay. And so a few of you are very familiar with what we have done. Some of you have probably spoken to us. And we try our best to keep this at the forefront of all of the students. And we have individuals such as Tiffany and Daryl Priester who are in Malawi, um, Bill and Trixie Cowell in Cameroon, and James and Sarah Pell have also come to uh, address the students. And the VESPER programs have been uh, a, a strong uh, encouragement to people or to students, uh, not only medical students, not only dental students, but even others in other fields uh, dealing with healthcare to continue to um, pursue uh, missions. Uh, just a little bit about the Deferred Mission Appointee Program. Uh, the program is a way for the General Conference to partner with the uh, School of Medicine and other um, entities to make it possible for students who are interested in serving abroad after their uh, career has, or their formal education has uh, concluded through residency, to be able to do so without worrying about the financial burden. Does that sound like a good idea? Um, and so they do that by making sure that they have, um, they pay back half their loans for each five years that they spend overseas. So they don't have to worry about that. And so that's exactly what they have been doing. We partner with them. Here are some of the former graduates. The gentleman at the bottom on the left is Dr. McGee, and he's the one who is a GC representative for the, missions, uh, the Deferred Mission Appointee Programs. The students at the top there, some of them are here um, at the conference uh, as uh, residents now, are still participants in the program. We've had Dr. Richard Hart, uh, president of the Loma Linda University and also president of uh, AHI come, and he has been given an opportunity as well to speak to the students and has been very inspirational to us. In addition, we had a wonderful story that I'd like to close with, my remarks with, uh, from Dr. Matt uh, Roos, who is now, uh, he has just completed his residency, he's now a fellow in uh, Oregon doing vascular surgery. Now, Loma Linda surgery, General Surgery Residency Program is one of the only programs, I think the only program that has an international site as one of their standard rotations. And so that uh, site is Malawi, um, Malamulo Hospital in Malawi. And so surgical residents at Loma Linda actually get to rotate there. He was the very first resident that rotated, and so we had him come and talk to our students, first and second year students. And he told an amazing story, and I'd like to relay that story to you. Uh, the story begins, he had a patient who came in with some sort of esophageal cancer. And they had to resect that cancer. And by the way, when he, visit, when he stepped foot in Malawi, he increased the general surgery uh, general number of general surgeons by about 40%, I think, or 20%. So just by being there, every time a student, uh, a resident goes there, they increase the surgical capacity by that much. So he has this patient, he has an esophageal cancer, and they're, they're treating this patient, and there are some complications as a result of this, uh, this treatment. And the patient is no longer able to actually pay for the services that he is receiving. And so he's telling the doctors, I'd like you to stop taking care of me right now because I can't afford the care that you're giving to, to me. And so Dr. Roos was telling the medical students that it got to the point where they were begging him to stay because we need to care for you. We need to continue this care so that you can recover. And the man said, no, you know what? I'm just going to resign myself to die. And Dr. Roos said, 
I'm actually going to pay for you so that I can give the care that I need to give to you. And I think that that is a wonderful opportunity for us to communicate the gospel to other people. My time's up, but I just want to tell you one that- One more question, one yes. more question. How has it benefited you personally? This has benefited me personally. I told you that I came into this, uh, into medicine because I wanted to go into mission service. And one of the number one reasons why people get out of it is because they get really great offers in residency and they lose focus because it's not in front of their face at, at all times. And so this has helped me to keep focus on why I'm here and what my purpose is in life, which is to be a vessel for God to use. Thank you. Happy Sabbath. I'm Jonathan Harper. I'm a second year medical student um, at Loma Linda University. And let me skip ahead to my slides. There we go. Um, so I'm going to be talking about SIMS, or Students for International Mission Service, um, and how it makes a difference abroad, and also how it made a difference in my life. Um, so SIMS sends out a lot of students from all the schools within Loma Linda University. Um, as a medical student, I'm most acquainted with that. Um, and in the School of Medicine, there are basically two times when students can go out, um, especially on a month-long mission trip, either during an elective, during their fourth year, or in between the first and second years, we have a 10-week summer break, and a lot of students go then. But many students, including myself, uh, have to decide between doing research, that's obviously something that is important, um, going home and relaxing, or going on a mission trip. This was something I prayed about, but as I prayed about it more and more, it seemed like the Lord was leading me to go on a mission trip. Um, Part of the reason why I think he was impressing me to do that is because from my perspective, Brent kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, in medical school it's really easy to become self-focused. Um, you're studying for yourself, it's all-encompassing, even our exercise, our eating, our leisure time, spending time with friends, even Sabbath, can be done for the purpose of rejuvenate, rejuvenating yourself to study harder. So for me, going on a mission trip was something that was very important to remind myself why I went into medical school, to remind myself that I was here to serve God and to serve other people. Um, so I went to the country of Nepal, um, just northeast of India. Obviously, it's famous for Mount Everest, prayer flag, Sherpas, wonderful things. Um, but I discovered there's a lot more to the country than just mountains and treks. Um, I spent a month at Shear Memorial Hospital. I'm about 25 kilometers from Kathmandu. It's in a beautiful location in the city of Banepa. It's simple, but it's well-kept. Um, it has 150 beds and currently has 20 doctors. They also have a school of nursing there, um, which trains many of the nurses uh, that work at this hospital and also hospitals uh, in the area. Christianity in Nepal is a very small minority. I know there's several people here who went there this last summer as well. Um, looking online, it only comprises about 1.4% of the population. Um, in fact, out of the 20 doctors there, um, about two-thirds of whom are pictured here, um, I think five are Adventists, and there's another one or two who are strong Christians. So as you can imagine, there's a little bit of, of conflict here, and it just makes it all the more important for Adventists to, to share the gospel um, with this hospital and with the community. So at this point, you might be wondering, okay, great, I went to Nepal, but what could I really do to help the hospital? Can medical students really contribute all that much? Well, some hospitals do genuinely need the help of first-year medical students. Sure, you know, we've learned anatomy, how to do a physical exam, how to take a history, and other vitally important clinically th clinical things like learning the enzymes in the Krebs cycle or learning how to distinguish a gastric cell from a duodenal cell. Great, right? Let's be honest, though, we don't really know that much, especially as first-years. Um, in fact, many hospitals operate 
just fine and probably better without the help of helpless first-year medical students. Um, sure, fourth-year medical students can do a lot more, dental students can do a lot more, but at least from my perspective, I don't think that SIMS, or Students for International Mission Service, exists for the purpose of allowing some young whippersnapper medical student to come and save the day in a poor hospital in Africa. No. So what is the purpose then of sending out dozens of medical students around the world each summer? At least from my perspective, I think it exists for perhaps similar reasons as to why Amen has donated thousands of dollars to allow 170 students to come to a conference this weekend to expose us to missions, to expose us to a different way of medicine and what the world expects, to help us to not only hear about the need around the world and to hear about how God has called us to fulfill this great need, but to experience it, to see it firsthand, to see how missionaries cope in a third world country and sacrifice so much in order to fulfill Jesus' calling to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's for this reason that I went to Nepal, and I got what I was hoping for. I witnessed how missionaries in Nepal sacrifice and experience trial after trial in order to spread the good news that we share. A year and a half ago, I was in Nigeria on a similar trip, and a doctor there uh, told my friend and I something that has really stuck to this day and really resonated this last summer in Nepal. It was something to the effect of, um, our excuse for being here is what we do inside the hospital compound. It builds our credibility. The reason we are here is what we do outside of the hospital compound. In a majority Hindu country like Nepal, it's difficult to evangelize openly in the hospital. Um, as I mentioned, there is some conflict between Adventists and the surrounding community. So the missionaries really have to show Christ's character through their actions. It's the work in the hospital that often allows them to work outside the hospital and in the community. Um, I'll use Mrs. Cardona, who isn't here, I hope she doesn't mind, uh, the wife of the medical director, as an example. Um, one aspect of her ministry there is that she's decided to take the children under her wing, uh, the youth there. She teaches youth Sabbath school each week. Um, she runs a Pathfinder club of 60 kids. And she's also a Bible teacher in the local school and a spiritual mother figure to many of the children there. Um, being an, a missionary in Nepal allows her to impact young lives for the kingdom of God, who otherwise might never hear about the gospel and otherwise might never hear about how Christ can change our lives. This is one aspect of at least how I was able to serve and enjoyed the most of being in Nepal this last summer. Helping to teach some of the kids in Pathfinders, helping with Sabbath school, helping them out with music. It was my experience in the church community that was the most meaningful to me while I was there for that month. This summer's experience in Nepal, plus prior mission trips like the previous summer in Nigeria, have helped shape who I am and why I am going into medicine. I'll confess the idea of overseas missions is new to me. I'm, I'm still praying about whether that is what God is calling me to do. But whether a missionary abroad or here in the United States, I know that God is calling me to serve him and to use my practice to continue Christ's ministry. My Sims trip this last summer helped me realize I want to be the type of missionary who, like the Cardonas in Nepal, or like the missionary I was with in Nigeria last summer, who don't just settle for letting mission work be something that they do. No, I want mission work to be who I am. I would like to close with a quote from Ministry of Healing, page 502. It says, In the life of Christ, everything was made subordinate to his work, the great work of redemption which he came to accomplish. And the same devotion, the same self-denial and sacrifice, the same subjection to the claims of the word of God is to be manifest in his disciples. May our mission work not be something that we do. May it be who we are. Um, I'm Christina Kyle. I'm a third-year medical student at Loma Linda. 
Um, I'll have to say that I am enjoying third year a lot more than my first and second years. So a lot of hope and courage to you first and second years. It gets a lot better and a lot more fun. Um, I'm sure, um, I yeah, don't know what I'm going to go into yet, but um, leaning towards something definitely with international medicine. I'm not DMA, but um, I've been on several mission trips. Um, my parents made sure that we, my sister and I had good international exposure. We went to the Dominican Republic and Panama when I was little. And um, in college, I was a student missionary to Micronesia, and I had my own Sims trip. I worked with James and Sarah Appel and Chad last summer. And I can tell you, malaria is not fun. Um, but, however, when I was back in my Loma Linda bubble, back in first and second year, I've learned not to forget the people who are around me in my own backyard. Um, I'm a firm believer that God has given us interests and gifts and passions that we have the opportunity to share with those around us. Um, I've always loved playing the violin. I started when I was five, and I can tell you that teaching little ones to play the violin is not an easy task. I feel very bad for my mom and for my teachers. Um, but when I, Loma Linda, went to, when I got to Loma Linda my freshman year in 2012, um, I learned of this program called CKC Music. CKC stands for, um, I keep forgetting, Community Kids Connection. And what CKC Music is, is, um, is a program where Loma Linda students go out once a week to local schools, high schools, where they um, have little elementary students that come to us and we teach them how to play different instruments like the violin, the cello, depending on what students would come. Um, there was guitar lessons, flute lessons, ukulele. All the kids had such a great time. And we taught them about how to play the instruments and also about music theory and just kind of had fun with them. Um, I have to make a disclaimer. I wanted to take more pictures, but they told me not to take pictures of the kids. And then when they asked me to do this, they asked me for pictures. So I was kind of in a catch-22. But these are the pictures I've snuck in the meantime. <laughs> so this is um, a student at one of the recitals. And there's me and Jonathan and my friend Carrie at the recitals. And here's another boy playing cello. Um, we all had a really great time. That's my friend Jason talking to his cello students. Um, but the first year, on top of all the coursework and stuff like that, it was a little bit stressful. I had a new student pretty much every week. It was a little bit difficult to keep track of um, all their progress and stuff like that. But it was still, it was still a really great time. Uh, however, during my second year, um, I, I had a little student. Let's see. Oh, it's Jason again. And um, my student, her name was Jessica. She kind of latched herself on to me in the first couple weeks during my second year. And um, I could tell she was really eager to learn. And I, so I just kind of took her under my wing. And every time I showed up each week, I'd feel a little tap on my back. And she'd be there with her little grin and holding her violin. And she and I would take off for an hour and we'd spend time together. I had to teach her everything from the parts of the violin to to um, how to use her bow and how to use her fingers to make different notes. And it's just, it's amazing something that's second nature to me, having to teach to someone in such detail. And um, every week she'd come back and she'd be like, I listened to the piece again, and this is what I learned this week. And just having her show up so eager each week was such a blessing, and I love seeing all her energy. And it was so rewarding to see her grow throughout the year. And um, so she kept me... 
She kept me very accountable to my time at CKC. Um, by the end, she was just flourishing, and she had pieces memorized, and she, she and her mom would take pictures with me each, at each recital at Christmas and at the end of the year. Um, but honestly, like the hardest, it's so lame, but the hardest part for me for CKC was to keep going every week because I'd be like, oh, I have to go over these lectures for the morning. I have to go over all of this. But during my second year, especially knowing Jessica was there and keeping me accountable and I could not let her down. It was just such a little inspiration about how she kept going and it just kept me going at the same time. It was such a blessing. Um, but I know she'd be waiting for, the, for me at the end of the day. And I loved sharing music with her. And I loved seeing her bright eyes and how eager she was to learn. And what was really awesome for me in CKC is the connection that music gives us is kind of like in medicine, where it's just a deep connection with someone else that you can't really put a pinpoint on it. But it's, it's some sort of human connection that we have to each other. And I really love that aspect of having that in my life with music and with medicine. It's not something directly spiritual or medical, but you have the opportunity to give these kids a glimpse of the God's gift of music to us. And I really hope it meant a lot to her and that she still remembers it today. And overall, I really appreciate that Loma Linda gives us these opportunities to share with students and to share the love of music with the greater community around us because it's such a big world out there and we really dare not ignore it. Thank you. My name is Laurel Guthrie. I'm also a third year medical student. Um, I'm just going to say a few words about the lunch meetings. You already saw a video this morning um, with several people talking about what we've been doing. Um, what I wanted to say, um, kind of related to these lunch meetings, is we have a burden to um, share with our fellow students what we've learned. You know, people who come to Loma Linda don't automatically become doctors as soon as they come into school. There's a training process, and the same thing is we don't automatically become missionaries or Christians just because we're at a Christian school. And um, there's no way to become a missionary if you don't have the Spirit of Christ in your own heart. And so in addition to answering the curiosity and questions that our fellow students have through these lunch meetings, um, we want to share with our fellow students the joy that we've found in serving Christ ourselves and the, um, the beauty of the relationship with God and how much of a difference it can make in your own life. And I think um, for me, especially being in medical school, having that relationship with God has made medical school a joy. I've been able to have joy through tests and trials and lots of challenges and it, always, it has not always been easy as many of my classmates um, would attest, but um, God is good. And I just really am amazed at how much he has blessed us. And so one of the other things we've tried to do, encourage our speakers to do with a lunch meeting is to make practical applications to student life from the messages from scripture. Because if scripture doesn't make a difference in our lives, then it's kind of worthless, um, honestly. And I just remember the um, verses from 1 John, chapter 1, where John is writing, and he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. 
The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And I think that's really the hope that I have for each of my classmates, for myself, for all the medical students at Loma Linda, and for each of you as physicians, that you can have that joy inside of you that will just flow out to the patients, to everyone you uh, come in contact with. Um, so that's, that's my prayer for all of you. And we ask for your prayers um, as we are continuing to plan for the future and um, pray as to how God would lead us to help our fellow students uh, gain a deeper relationship with God. All right, my name is Eddie Perry, and I'm a third-year family medicine resident uh, finishing my training at Loma Linda University uh, right now. So what I want to share with you all this evening is just a brief story of how God has been leading my wife Carolina and I towards uh, long-term work in the Congo. Uh, during our, throughout our training at Loma Linda, first for medical school and now for residency. Um, as you guys have heard, like, there's a lot of different opportunities to stay involved in missions uh, while you're at Loma Linda University. And both Carolina and my wife, we, we took full advantage of these, especially the SIMS trips. We both went on you know, two SIMS trips during our time in medical school. And I think I spent a like, total of six months in Africa uh, throughout medical school working at various hospitals on the continent. And... So, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. To many of you, this may conjure up memories of the violent civil war that has been racking the country for the last 16 years. It's a civil war that has killed 5.4 million people. Just to put that number in perspective, it's the greatest loss of life in any conflict since World War II. Fortunately, however, the war has been been stayed in one side of the Congo over on the eastern part by Uganda and Rwanda. So just to give you all a brief overview of how God has been leading us towards work in the Congo. I was born and raised in Africa. My parents were missionaries. My dad was a mission pilot over in Tanzania for quite a number of years. And so I've always felt at home in Africa. In college, I spent a year as a student missionary in Guinea doing medical work out in uh, villages with an EMT background at the time. And I like to travel. So I've traveled to you know, dozens of countries around Latin America, Africa. Um, and throughout all this traveling, whether I was traveling down the Amazon by boat or crossing the Sahara by taxi, I was searching for something. At the time, though, I didn't really know what that something was. It wasn't until the end of a long trip that found me at the Bray Adventist Hospital working with James Appel that one day, over breakfast, he was telling about his recent trip to the Congo. And his descriptions of the Congo, the extreme poverty, the lack of medical care, um, just really struck a chord um, in my heart. And I realized that, you know, that's, that's the kind of place that I feel like God is calling me to work at. And so, two years later, found me um, in the remote and struggling Songa Hospital in the southern part of the Congo. At this point, I was a fourth-year medical student. And while I was there, I experienced the incredible needs of the patients uh, living in the Congo. Uh, this patient here on the right, she's a 16-year-old girl. She traveled for 200 kilometers through the jungle, being pushed um, without any food on this ambulance. 
to get to the hospital. She'd had an intrauterine fetal demise, and she arrived at the hospital almost dead. Um, and so the local physician and I, you know, operated on her. We operated without electricity, which means we had no lights, we had no electric cautery, we had no suction. We didn't even have proper suture, and our, all of our surgical instruments were old and rusty and barely functioning. Somehow, though, um, thanks to God, she survived, uh, despite all of the limitations and care that we couldn't give her. And, but other patients were not so fortunate. Even while working at Sangha, I've always felt that something was missing. I've always resonated with the Apostle Paul when he wrote in Romans 15.20, my ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been named. Both Carolina and I want to work in a place that the light of the gospel and the three angels' message has not reached. We didn't want to just save somebody's life so that they would die in a few years. We wanted to work in a place where Christ has not been preached, somewhere that we could use our medical skills, not as an end in themselves, but as a tool to point patients to the true physician, somewhere that we could use medicine as the right hand of the gospel, somewhere that we could establish a center of influence, um, just as we have been talking about at this, at this conference. Uh, one evening, while traveling down the Congo River, um, a Congo River tributary near Kisangani in a leaky canoe. I was talking with Keith Moser, the Congo Frontline Missions president, and he was describing to me the almost completely unreached Congo River basin. And my heart ached as he described the all too common stories of heartbreaking suffering and death that are a part of everyday life in the Congo. If you take a brief look at this map, Kisangani is in the northeast part of the Congo that line is a 400-kilometer radius, and all of the red are areas where there is no Adventist presence. And that red extends nearly 1,000 kilometers to the west down the Congo River. It was out of that boat trip that a dream began to emerge, a dream of establishing the Kisangani Life Hope Center, a center that would not just be another hospital, but a center that would impact the people of Kisangani and the Congo River Basin by providing not only acute care, medical and dental services, but more importantly, public health education to avoid the common infectious diseases that are rampant in the area, and most importantly, pointing the suffering and sick to the great physician. Earlier this year, Caroline and I traveled to Kisangani to lay the groundwork for the Kisangani Life Hope Center. On this trip, we performed a situational analysis, just looking and talking to the patients, talking to the government to figure out, you know, what are the needs? What can we do to really make a difference in this area? Um, this required a lot of travel, deep into the jungle, down the Congo River. So I just want to give you a brief glimpse of what travel is like in the Congo. As you can tell, we traveled by luxury vehicles, down, down modern freeways, and across and across state-of-the-art overpasses. We waited for the next, the latest generation of ferries deep in the jungle, and we slept in five-star hotels. And we ate at gourmet restaurants. Actually, this was a gourmet meal. We had traveled 12 hours by motorcycle, and that was the first food we had seen in 12 hours. And of course, during this trip, we never had any trouble whatsoever. I mean, everything was a breeze. And going down the Congo, you know, boating in style. And we saw patients in state-of-the-art facilities, as you can tell. 
But what really struck me was how warm-hearted, how welcoming the people were when we told them that we, that we were there as physicians to help them, to do what we could to alleviate their suffering. And the kids, the adults, everybody was extremely um, grateful for what really, what we, little that we could do while we were there. It's been really amazing to see how God has opened uh, doors. I don't know if any of you guys have tried to go through a door that God is trying to close in your face, but it doesn't work very well. But in moving forward with the Kisangani Life Hope Center, door after door after door has opened. And at this point, we've partnered with Adventist Health International at uh, Loma Linda University. You can find us on their website, as well as Congo Frontline Missions and, and the, Adventist, the local Adventist church to establish um, the Kisangani Life Hope Center as a center of influence. It's a center that will be built around a financially self-sustaining 44-bed um, hospital, but one that will offer so much more than just medicine. Um, while Carolina and I finish our training, I'm in my third year of residency. She's uh, an intern right now at Loma Linda as well. We currently have a small medical and dental clinic that's doing outpatient care um, in Kisangani, being run by Luke and Shante Fisher, both nurses from the U.S., and we are planning on building the facility that you saw in the previous slides within the next three years and opening up um, the enlarged facilities within that time. You know, like I said, we're on the HI website. You can um, see us at HI Global. Um, I just want to say in conclusion, though, as you guys have heard all these stories, you've heard how God has, is keeping mission alive through Loma Linda University. And... I can really say, you know, from my own experience and from seeing my classmates and the students that are going through uh, school right now, that, the, that after more than a century, Loma Linda University is, is still fulfilling its calling as a medical missionary college, preparing the next generation of missionaries, both here in the U.S. and for mission service overseas. Thank you. Thank you, Eddie, Christina, Laurel. Quince, John, Brent, Morgan, you guys inspire me. It's people like this that I'm humbled to work with on a day-by-day -day basis. The common element in every one of those stories was personal ministry, the people. Meeting people, serving people is what makes a difference. Sure, medicine is interesting and fascinating. Sure, it's, it's really exciting to, to lead a street walk out on the streets of San Bernardino and find a homeless man underneath an overpass and help take care of his diabetic foot ulcer or to help teach violin to someone who would never otherwise have the chance to learn violin. And it's really rewarding to meet those people and to serve them. I'm reminded of a poem. It's an old poem. It's approximately 80, 90 years old by the man Wilbur Race. You'll have to forgive the language. It's, it's old. It's decades old. And you'll have to read between the lines for the meaning. But the poem reads, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or to disturb my sleep, but just enough of God to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a man of a different race or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack.
I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. The future of Loma Linda and the mission and the prophetic calling and significance of the institution looks bright with seven people like this who want a lot more than $3 worth of God. And my prayer is that each of you are earnestly seeking to buy more than $3 worth of God. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.